If you are able to stand, please stand with me as we read Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Amen? Let us pray. Father God Almighty, we give you thanks for your word. As you speak through your servant David, dear God, I pray that you would speak into our spirits at this hour. As David is singing praises to you, giving glory to your beautiful holy name in the face of his enemies, Lord, I pray that you would do the same through us. Call us, Father, to humble ourselves before you at this moment. And I pray, God, that as we listen to your voice, that it would come clearly. Let this hour, Father, bring you glory. This is all we can ask. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. This morning I am not reading from the English Standard Version that I normally preach from. As I was preparing this sermon, from time to time, especially when I'm doing word studies in the text, I will, I will compare translations every now and then. And this was one of those times that I felt I needed to really start comparing some translations. The Psalms are, is that place in the Old Testament where translation can really affect the beauty of the poetry. And as I was studying, the Lord just really kind of spoke more into my heart through this. This is the translation of the New American Standard Bible. And again, I'm not a, a big proponent on which translation is good over another. I have my opinions on which ones we should read and which ones we should not. Um, but this particular passage, to me, just rang true in the New American Standard. This Bible, as I was going through my library, this is a Bible... Um, that was given to me when I was 18 years old. I had just graduated high school and had just uh, sworn into the U.S. Army, and I was leaving that week, and my youth group in the church I grew up in presented this to me, and I've kept it as a treasure. Uh, it has uh, gone, I don't know if you can see it, it has gone with me through a boot camp, uh, through my military service. It even went to uh, Saudi Arabia when I was in the first Gulf War. It was in my duffel bag when I went, and I read it every single day. Um, and so the, new, the, the, the words here of this psalm are just rich. Amen. And the translation here of the ancient Hebrew, it just brings to us the poetry, the, 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 the beauty of prose from David's heart. When we look here at this wonderful psalm, the, the, his servant David here is singing praises to the Lord. He is, he's wrestling 
as he often is in the Psalms, between his enemies who are after him and his Lord that he serves who protects him. And this beautiful psalm is a psalm that rings as a voice of the church today. It, 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 psalm 27 is a voice of the church who cries out with respect to Jesus Christ. Christ is through every word of this psalm. As David here in verse 1 sings, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? I really appreciate Caleb as he is preparing our worship together. He and I communicate ahead of time and pray together. And as, we, as I work through the sermon text over several weeks and months, uh, Caleb prays through these and he, he connects the hymns and the songs to the text of the sermon. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? How many of us, even if we've been walking with Christ for a long time, there are seasons of our Christian life where we are afraid of what is happening around us? Yeah, that's part of the Christian journey. This constant growth of sanctification throughout our Christian life is God's way of shaping us and molding us more and more into the image of Christ every single day, and He uses the circumstances around us for His glory in us. And the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And David clearly is in fear here of his enemies, and he is pouring out his heart to his Savior, his Lord, who is his light and his salvation. Now, this interesting here, this, this imagery of the Lord is my light and my salvation is an imagery that clearly carries over into the New Testament as well. If you will, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6, and we'll see a connection here of this imagery of the Lord is my light and my salvation. Hebrews chapter 6. Beginning in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about the Christ, let us press into or press on to maturity, not laying against the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since then again crucified to themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. What is the writer of Hebrews saying here in verse 4 especially, for in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, that's also a way of saying those who have been enlightened of what salvation is through Jesus Christ and have tasted the beauty of God's presence and His mercy upon us, those who have tasted that and then have fallen away, he's arguing and So it's, this is one of the warning passages of Hebrews, Oh, woe to them. There is something about the beauty of God. If you have seen Him and experienced His goodness and tasted how wonderful God's mercy is, 
There's something about that that is beyond description. This is why I think Paul, uh, David's psalm here is one of the rich ways. It's a beautiful way of expressing God's beauty of salvation for us through Jesus Christ and expressing what cannot be expressed through words. Can we say an amen to that? If, how many people here know that they are, without a doubt, redeemed? Got a few? Can you actually describe that to someone? Especially someone who has never tasted the goodness of salvation. Without the move of God through His Son and the Holy Spirit regenerating us and making us new, it is impossible to even taste what it's like. So David here, in the midst of his fear, he's expressing The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? You see, traditionally the light and knowledge of Christ is that which brings us salvation. Without understanding Christ and His sacrifice for us on the cross and the grace that is from God alone to us through His Son, there is no way for us to even understand salvation. Amen? And David here in this first verse of this psalm is expressing what he knows and he's leaning into that truth that he has assured of that the Lord has saved him. His Savior is there. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Verse 2, When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. That's, that's what happens to those who reject the Lord. Those who come against God's people, come against God Himself and come against His kingdom. And verse 2 shows exactly what happens. Those evildoers, when they come to devour my flesh, David says, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumble and they fell. Verse 3, though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. These are words, these first three verses are words of encouragement even to us today. I mean, I don't, there's so much in our lives that come against us. Much of it we bring against ourselves. Can we say amen to that? Paul calls those the busybodies and the meddlers of the church, yet they cry victim. But there is that true spiritual warfare that we talked about several weeks back. That if we are redeemed through the blood of Christ, the world will not understand it. And there will be enemies that come against us because they are coming against Christ. But if we stand firm in our salvation, if we stand firm in the confidence that God is there, that His salvation through Christ is enough... Nothing can take that away. This is what David is singing. In spite of this, he says in verse 3, I shall be confident. Now verse 4 is where I really want to rest here for the rest, most of our time here in God's Word. Psalm 27 verse 4 is this rich, rich exploration of beholding God's beauty. I don't know about you, but beauty is a good thing. Can all the husbands in the room say Amen. Without the beauty of our wives, where would we be? Because we men, we're just, you know, we're just foul and rough and tough. 
But man, the beauty of our wives brings that grace that we'd so desperately need. But when we see here the idea of beauty, beauty is this thing that is in this world that God has created, that God has given to us as a gift to show Himself. He has, a, he has poured out a part of who His character is. Part of His character is beautiful, and He, exp- he puts this into everything He makes and everything He does. Paul in Romans chapter 1 tells us about this, that those who do not express the name of Christ, who do not acknowledge God as creator are without, without excuse because God has made it very clear through the beauty of His creation who He is. So this idea of beauty is something that is important in the Scriptures. And I want us to understand what David is saying here in Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. Now the idea of beauty is something that has many different uh, aspects of it in the Scriptures. And when I was looking at this passage, I was thinking, okay, I, I thought I understood what was here, but when we dig deeper, beauty is, has a lot of layers to it. Beauty is one of these things that is attractive. It calls us to it. And so when we hear the beauty of the gospel, the sinner is drawn to the words of Scripture and to the truth of salvation through Jesus Christ. There is a beauty there that draws us. When we're singing praises to the Lord, God has given us the gift of creativity to assist us to be drawn into His presence through that music. Doesn't that mean that music is something that saves us? But God has given us a gift of creativity so that we can give Him glory through it. And as we preach the Word, there is a beauty in God's Scripture and there's even a beauty in the proclamation of the Gospel that should be attractive to a fallen world. Even though they may reject it and even though they may fight against it, what they're fighting against is there is this supernatural tug of war going on. And even though someone who is outside of Christ, who has not been redeemed by the blood of Christ, they will hear the truth of the gospel and they know it's beautiful. They know it's calling them to salvation, but they're pulling and wrestling against it and saying, Dear God, I don't want you. And David here as he's singing this wonderful hymn, He says, one thing I have asked from the Lord. In the midst of all of these enemies around him, in the midst of the most struggling times of his life, when he has everything against him and he's fighting for survival, in verse 4 he says, one thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek. One thing I have asked from the Lord, another way to say this, that He desires above all else. He is asking for the Lord something, that He is desiring from the Lord one thing and one thing only, and that is to dwell in His house and to behold His beauty. Imagine this, if the world is coming against you, everything is going wrong. David here is giving us a wonderful example of saying, even in the midst of that, Desire one thing above everything else, and that is to dwell in God's house and to behold His beauty. That's right there is advice to anyone that may come across your life, that they come to you because they know that you're a Christian and their life is falling apart. You can point them to this one verse. In the midst of David's struggle, in the midst of his battle, he says, one thing I want. 
I desire this above all things. It's dear God, I desire to be in your house. And I desire to behold your beauty. That right there is a sermon. You see where we are? One thing I desire above all things. He says this same idea. The house of the Lord is a spiritual house. Now, it's one thing, David is clearly talking here in verse 4 about, I think it's a dual meaning about dwelling in the house of the Lord because the, the, the Lord's house, the tabernacle, was a place where God rested with His people. And David desired to dwell where the Lord, wherever God was, that's where he wanted to be. And of course God rested in the Holy of Holies. But I think the other part here is that, that God's intent from the very beginning was to dwell with His people, not necessarily housed in four walls, but to dwell with His people where they are. He wanted to dwell in His people. He wanted His presence to be with His people. And this is what David is asking for as well. It's not only that David wants to be in the house of the Lord, a physical place. He wants to dwell in the house of the Lord as he, his body, his spirit, his very essence is the house of the Lord as well. Because God says, I will dwell with my people and they will be with me. See, the house of the Lord here is not only a physical idea, but it's also a spiritual idea. Are you and I now the house of the Lord? Does God dwell within his church. And what is the church? The church is his gathered people together. God dwells with his redeemed. Wherever we go, he goes with us. <laughs> He's never very far because we find him where he promises to be. And that is within his people. And that's what David's desiring here. And to do this, as while he is there, he desires, he, he wants to settle with the Lord. That's really what this idea of to dwell in the house of the Lord means. It means to really reside within the Lord himself and the Lord residing within David as a mutual harmony of relationship. And David wants to be settled. Because think about this, if the world is coming against you and you have enemies coming from all directions, you definitely feel unsettled. You're looking for survival. You're looking for the next place to go, to, to, to be on the, ready to flee if necessary. And he says, the one thing I want, I want to settle in your presence, Lord. Wherever, I, wherever you are, God, wherever you come to me, wherever you call me to be, wherever it is, Lord, you lead me to be, that's where I want to be. And he wants to settle in the presence of the Lord. And once we get there, once we are in God's presence, God is faithful to present His beauty. His beauty overwhelms us. And David says, I want to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate on in His temple, to meditate on the goodness and the beauty of God. He wants to wonder at God's perfection. He, wants to take, he, he takes delight in God and His presence. This idea to behold is to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Has anybody ever gazed upon something? What does it mean to gaze? Right, you, you, you know, to gaze on something means that you are so enraptured with it that you can't turn away from it. You ever seen a, a sunrise or a sunset that you just could not walk away? Oh, let me just stay right here for just a minute and let me just gaze upon the beauty of God's creation. He's revealing Himself to us in His sunsets. <laughs> Amen. I know this summer, as everybody goes on vacations, when you look on social media, what, what kind of pictures are they posting? They're posting beach sunsets. 
right? But why are we, why are we drawn to that? Why, are we, why do we stop in our tracks when we see that kind of beauty? It's because we're gazing upon God's glory. Now that's just one aspect of His glory. That's one aspect of His beauty. But David's not necessarily talking about sunsets here. He's talking about taking delight in God's presence. He desires that above all things. This idea of beauty here in verse 4, this is really what struck me because beauty is something that is attractive. It is something that is consuming. It is something that we just stand in awe of. But the idea of beauty here in verse 4 is not that kind of beauty. David is wanting to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, but what he, in, in doing this, he's really what he's asking about and what he's praying to the Lord for. He says, I just want to delight in you. Beauty as a delight. So it's not something that manipulates us. God is not a, a God that manipulates us. His beauty is not something that distracts us. It, it, see, Satan takes God's beauty and distorts it. And we can be led astray. And what David is talking about here in verse 4 is, Dear God, I just want to gaze upon your delight. I want to gaze and take wonder in your perfection. I want to just be where it is pleasant and delightful. That's the idea of beauty here. Have you ever just desired that, to be somewhere where it is pleasant? Maybe that you're at work and it's not very pleasant. That's kind of what David's wrestling with here. I mean, he, uh, clearly when you've got enemies out to kill you and, and everyone is out against you, you're not in a very pleasant place. And what he is desiring here in verse 4 is he wants to just gaze upon the delightfulness of God. He is glad to be in God's presence. That's what this means. And God is glad to bring David near. This idea of beauty here as well is something that I think that we can also understand from this text. Beauty is not always just surfacy. Beauty is not always just, you know, comb your hair and brush your teeth. Please comb your hair and please brush your teeth. Please do that. That's a good thing to do. Right? Can we say amen? But this, this idea of beauty here, as, as David is expressing, and what we often see in Scripture is that this is a beauty that is, is pure, and it's a spiritual beauty. It's not a physical beauty. It is something beyond description. C.S. Lewis writes about a, a, a kind of spiritual beauty in his, uh, his book called Paralandra. Uh, he wrote a trilogy of books before he wrote the Narnia series, uh, it's called a space trilogy, and I'm, I'm, for the first time, finding time this summer to read those. C.S. Lewis writes, Pure spiritual intellectual love, like barbed lightning. It was so unlike the love we experienced that its expression could easily be mistaken for ferocity. We normally associate love and beauty together, but think about when we think about love in our modern context, we have been... Uh, we have been distorted in, from the romanticism of the 18th and 19th centuries of, of beauty as this emotional stirring. But God's love for us is a beauty that is ferocious. It is a beauty that is intellectual, meaning that, that love that God knows us and we know Him. The most 
the most perfect marriages that I've ever seen between a man and a woman or those marriages where the husband and the wife, they just don't gush and gooey all over each other with romantic feelings. They know each other. And God knows us. And we know God. In this psalm, we see this through David. David knows the Lord because the Lord knows him. And David is wanting to behold that beauty. He wants to delight in that presence. He wants to delight in the love of the Lord for him. And David wants to delight in his love for the Lord. It is a pure spiritual, intellectual love and beauty that can be mistaken for something that is ferocious. Not something that is gushy. Ponder that for a second. Right? See, in our modern age of worship in our churches right now, we want to turn God into this romantic feeling. And we miss out on the intellectual connection and the intense personal understanding of what it means to be God's people. And David here in this psalm is singing wonderful, beautiful praises to the Lord. And he says, in the midst of all of my struggles and all of my enemies, only thing I want, the one thing I desire is this perfect harmony with my Lord. Wow. Now the first six verses of this psalm is David's singing praises of the blessings he's already received. And in the last half of this psalm, verses 7 through 14, he now shifts focus and sings about things that he desires, a blessing that he desires in the future. He, in other words, we've seen this pattern throughout this psalm or in the psalms. David always recounts what God has done for him. And that is a good practice. Whenever we are in, in a downhill slide of our spiritual walk with the Lord, and those come, Right? We go into these deep valleys of depression in our spiritual walk with the Lord. The, the pattern of David in the Psalms is that he starts off with remembering what God has faithfully done in the past. And so the first six verses here of the Psalm, David is recounting the blessings of what God has done. In verses 7 through 14, now he takes his thoughts and he, and he shifts it to a petition of the Lord. It's okay to petition the Lord in our prayers and in the midst of our struggles. David here does it all the time. As he remembers what God has done and is God's faithfulness, he now turns his heart to a petitionary prayer. Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. How many people have prayed that one verse? Psalm 27, verse 7. If you don't know how to pray to the Lord and you're in the midst of trauma, just pray that one verse. <laughs> it's okay to pray Scripture. right? If you, don't have, if you don't have any words for the Lord because you're so overwhelmed, open up His Word and say, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. And when we pray that prayer, God is faithful to answer. And li listen to this. Listen to this request of David. When you said, Seek my face... My heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Notice here, as David recalls and recounts the beauty of the Lord, that delightfulness of His presence, he is now asking, Dear Lord, the one thing I seek is to see your face. 
Because in the midst of our sorrows, in the midst of our depressions, in the midst of our struggles and, and grief, the one thing that we're missing is we don't see God's face anymore. And it's not that God has left us, it's that we are so overwhelmed with the circumstances around us and we're so overwhelmed with our spiritual depression that we are not looking toward God. And it's important that we see what David is saying here is David is intentionally crying out to the Lord, requesting, desiring His face. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. And in verse 11, he continues to pray, Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. In the midst of all of this, David is saying, Dear God, all I want is to see you. Oh, dear God, just take me up into your love. Even though he says in verse 10, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Does God answer David's prayer? Does God reveal his face to David? I think God does answer David's prayer. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. Listen to these words. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels as he has inherited a more excellent name than they. You notice here in these first four verses of Hebrews, Jesus is referred to here in verse 3 as the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. I think God does answer David's prayer. As David is seeking God's radiant face, God responds through the covenant he made with David that his son Jesus Christ would be the face that we desire to see. Amen? You see, we can't really see God's face. He is so holy and so pure, and we are so vile and so sinful, and we cannot even survive in his presence. But through God's mercy, He sends His Son, Jesus Christ, to answer David's prayer. Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. And God says, I will send my Son, who is my radiance and who is my face. You see, Christ's glory is the face of God. We know this. But David does not see the end of God's promise, but he does hold fast to God's promise that he will restore all things the way it should be. In verse 13 of Psalm 27, David concludes here. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait 
for the Lord. Flip over to Psalm 29. Another psalm of David. He continues to sing and desire to worship God in the beauty of His holiness. Psalm 29 verse 1, Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in holy array. Verse 2 right there can also be translated, Worship the Lord in His holy beauty. In the beauty of His presence. Worship in the beauty of holiness. There's something about God's holiness that is beautiful. It's not only attractive, it is delightful, it is pleasant. When we are in God's holy beauty, we are also glad. Gladness is what brings us to goodness. You see, goodness and beauty are the same, yet somehow different. The one thing about the goodness is that the Scriptures also tell us in Isaiah 52, if you will. Turn with me to Isaiah 52 if you want. Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 6. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Verse 7 here, how lovely on the mountains can also be translated, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. This idea of loveliness and beauty are intertwined. In Romans chapter 10 verse 15 and Acts chapter 3 verse 2, this same verse is repeated from Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. What does the beauty of the Lord look like? What does it mean for us to behold his glory? It is God who says, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. The beauty of the Lord is obtained and experienced through the salvation of Jesus Christ. And then we proclaim that salvation to a world that needs to hear it. And the prophet Isaiah says how beautiful that is. And Paul in Romans says how beautiful that is. And Luke in the book of Acts says how beautiful that is. So what is the answer to David's prayer in Psalm 27? Worshiping in the beauty of holiness is when God sends His Son, Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. The beauty of God's holiness is when salvation is possible. The beauty of God's holiness is when we encounter the salvation through the blood of Christ and then we proclaim the good news to the world around us that needs to hear it. If we are not proclaiming that beauty to a world of darkness and ugliness, then we are not beautiful ourselves. That's what David says here in Psalm 27. This is what Paul says in Romans 10 and what Luke says in Acts chapter 3. So my question to us from this text is this. How beautiful are your feet right now? How beautiful are you at this moment if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, if Jesus has redeemed you from your sin and you have tasted the goodness of the Lord? Are you proclaiming the beauty that you have encountered to those who desire it 
who desperately maybe even turn their back from it. How beautiful are you at this moment? According to Scripture, the beauty of the Lord comes through salvation, but it also is proclaimed as we proclaim the salvation of Jesus Christ as something that is real, that is true, and we share the beauty that we have encountered with God with those who have not. Amen? Wow. We have been called by God to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And the scriptures tell us that when we do that, when we proclaim the good news from the mountaintops, how beautiful are the feet of Him who brings good news. My prayer for us all this morning is that above all things, we desire not just God's presence, but God's presence through the salvation of His Son, Jesus Christ. See, it's one thing to try to manifest God's presence. We talked about this on Wednesday nights, right? About a month ago, we were, we're, on Wednesday nights, we we're looking through what, it, what, what is prayer. If we as Christians try to manifest God's presence, we're doing nothing more than what the pagan religions do. They try to manifest a God that doesn't exist. We can't manifest God's presence. God Himself manifests His own presence. That's, that's who He is. And we are blessed and privileged to be in His presence. So here's my question for you. Does God's presence go with you when you leave this place? Does God's presence go with you wherever you go? If you are bought by the blood of Christ, then I hope so. That doesn't mean that we're, from time to time some ugliness is going to surface. I mean, life is life. People are people. Trust me. Ugliness comes in a lot of different ways. And there are times where, I will confess, I'm not very pretty. I'm very ugly. I can be ugly in my attitude. I can be ugly in my response to people. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, we, we are covered and washed clean with His glory. As long as we hold dear to that and we continually desire that and come into His presence as often as He is willing to draw us in, I think there's grace and mercy there as He continues to grow us and shape us and make us new. So what is the beauty that you're taking from here today? That's my question. Caleb, come on forward. Let me close this in prayer. Father God, we thank you, Lord, again for your word. And I pray, God, that you would shape within Sovereign Grace Baptist Church a desire above all things to be in your holy presence. Father, with a dark world all around us, and, and it's getting darker and darker by the day, Father, the only hope that we have is the light of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that He brings. We worship you this morning, God, for that very purpose, for that very truth, that through the blood of Christ, we have hope. Not through our own efforts, not through our own works, 
not even through our own choices. We, we, we depend on and we desire the salvation that Christ alone can offer. When we are, are desiring anything, Lord, it is, a, is an expression of our desire for you. Even when it's distorted, really what we're desiring, God, is you. We're just turned the wrong direction. And I pray, God, that you would always guide our feet, guide our souls, guide our minds. As we desire beauty, we desire you instead. Father, I pray that the words of our mouths as your people would be beautiful to those who need to hear the gospel. Let your words, Father, be our words. Let your beautiful presence, Lord, be ours. We cannot be beautiful because we're dirty, we're sinful, we're, we're fallen. So, Lord, please shine your glory through us. Let us be your people. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Let's stand and we'll sing one more song, How Great Is Our God. The splendor of the King Clothed in majesty Let all the earth rejoice All the earth rejoice He wraps Himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our god sing with me how great is our god and all will see how great how great is our God And age to age He stands And time is in His hand Beginning and the end Beginning and the end the Godhead three in one Father, Spirit, Son The Lion and the Lamb The Lion and the Lamb How great is our God Sing with me how great is our God All will see how great How great is our God The name above all names Worthy of all praise my heart will sing how great is our God
name above all names. Name above all names. You are worthy of all praise. My heart will sing how great is our God. Let's sing this hymn. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art, how great Thou art.